Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with John Pigeon up on the sunny central coast this week. And we are doing an episode to answer all the questions that came through my Instagram page. Now, John will admit he's not on Instagram as much as I am. I live and breathe it as much as I live and breathe TikTok these days. But a whole lot of people have written in questions for the show. If you are part of the My Millennial Money community, you can also add questions in the Facebook group. Just put the hashtag property and we will eventually get to it. There's quite a few questions in there as well. So today is going to be quite a diverse uh, episode. Episodes we've done in the past do have specific topics just outside of Q&A. So if you're looking for something more specific, feel free to look through the library of what we've got. We talk about mortgages and how they're set up. We talk about buying your first property, buying apartments, doing developments, anything property related. But if you're keen for a mixed bag of Q&A, tune into today's episode and let's get into it. So the people have made contact and we have a great question straight off the bat from Melanie and Melanie has asked for us to cover the topic of when to combine finances at the different stages of relationships, being married, de facto or boyfriend. Now, I think we're going to take the spin on this related more so to the property angle, because if you're looking for something that is really more around finance and money specifically, definitely hit up the main show, My Millennial Money. But I think in the context of combining finances when it comes to owning property and potentially buying a home or living in a home together, There's quite a few different ways it could go, particularly when you might have two individuals who are at differing earning capacities, maybe one's studying, maybe one's working full time. There's things that impact household income collectively. And so it's quite a challenging one to navigate, I think. I suppose just the when to combine finances bit, Mm. that is a really tough one. Yeah. Like I think... I, I personally was pretty blasé about it and so, like, well, okay, are we getting a joint bank account here or what like sort yeah. of uh, there's no real rhyme or reason to it but depending on how your childhood was as, as to how your parents have done things and have instructed you to, to do things as to how, how you navigate through that and I, I know people here um, that are friends of ours that still have separate bank accounts having been married 20 years. Yeah, and the father-in-law mm-hmm. still also monitors the joint bank account. Right, interesting. So <laughs> rightly or wrongly, everyone's got their own view on things, right? <laughs> so, what do you think about that? Before we move on to the property side of things, like when is the right time to to join forces? Well, I. In my own experience, we've done a bit of a hybrid, which I would do again because it actually worked really well, where you do have your own bank accounts where your money comes into and then you both contribute the same amount to the joint bank account. Now, there's been often debates in many forums and communities around 
uh, the percentage model versus the same amount into yeah. the joint account. I'm personally of the belief it's the same amount. Um, so what if you're on the lower income? And yep. your partner was on the higher income. It's still lower. I've been amount. in that case scenario, and I've right. still contributed because, for for me personally, it's that it's an equal contribution. Mm. Um, so if I can't commit to that, then maybe there needs to be a conversation around what can it look like. And uh, we still contribute the same amount to the joint account, but maybe if they wanted to do a nice dinner or something, it's you know on them to do that. Okay. All so, right. Yeah. All right. So then you fast forward to. Deposits. Yes. And I've got 40,000, you've got 10,000. Well, that's not ideal, is it? <laughs> <laughs> or other way around. I've yeah, got I've the got, 10. No, either way, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's more so the disparity in the deposit that's the not ideal mm. part. Look, it's, it's challenging. I actually would have to think pretty hard about how I would handle that because I think it feeds into the ownership and the split of, you know, how much you've contributed to the property versus how much you own of the property really. Yeah. Like is it 50-50 ownership? Then I think 50-50 in deposit. But what if that's the game changer? It's like, well, okay, we need to wait till your deposit's up so that we can go 50-50. Yeah. But that could be three years away. Yeah. I guess probably for me the bigger question is, should I be committing to a purchase if I've only got $10,000 in savings? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like- <laughs> but but that, doesn't it come back to... Are we in this together or are, yeah. we, are we two individuals coming into a joint venture? Sure, yeah. I suppose that's the approach I took. Of course. And, and still to this day I can comfortably say that it's never equal. Yeah. Ever. Sure, yeah. And it's not like I'll buy this dinner, you buy that dinner. Like, I, I, And I, personally I don't think it should be that way either because mm. it's like are we in a relationship here or are we in a like a – he said, she a said business. sort of. Yeah, it's like a business <laughs> yeah. sort of. It's no, no fun. Um, and, and I know that Amy has like she has spent 80% of the time raising the kids at home while yeah. I was working and I'm like I, I don't care how much money you bring in mm. because that's been your sole focus for such a long time. Like, of course. But in her mind it's like, well, I'm not contributing financially. So it's. Yeah. It's, uh, but depend- she is though. Like in a in such a, a huge way that you Correct. can't even really measure. That's right, and that's that's been my um, point the whole time as well. Mm. But I think people still struggle with that yeah. because they they don't feel as though it's 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 equal. But totally, yeah. So it's uh, there's no one size fits fits all. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I think back to the deposit thing. If there's someone's got you know a lot more saved than you, maybe they had better habits. And you know that money's been accumulating over time, and you're not really a saver; you're more of a spender. Yeah. Um, I think it's a conversation uh, that needs to be had. Yeah. And I think so long as everybody genuinely feels comfortable in the way forward, that's probably the most important part. Yeah. But there is no one size fits all for this sort of situation because um, personalities, uh, personal beliefs, and morals come into mm. play. There's so much a psychology that comes into deciding what the best way forward is. So Yeah, yeah. look and um the other the other part of it is parental guarantors. So mm. your parents have provided a parental guarantor for you and your partner. Uh is that that form part of my fifty fifty? Like it's yeah it's Or gifting. I've actually had quite gifting. a few clients where yeah, one half has been gifted mm. a certain amount. Um and is actually really tricky to navigate. The reason is the person whose parents aren't gifting money feels they have 
or could feel like they have less of a say in the property. Yeah, okay. Because you know, it's not like all they feel yes. appreciative for the funds yeah. and therefore they feel they can say less about what they don't like. Yeah. Mm. Which some would say that that's fair enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it up, sunshine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think, Melanie, yeah, when's, when to combine, it's, it's you're both having that conversation and, and both agreeing. Yeah. You, you don't want to bring someone kicking and screaming to the party. Of course. Alrighty, moving on to the next one. Now, the funny thing is with Instagram, John, it's not like Facebook where people have their actual name. They have a use, the username and so you kind of have to decipher who it is. I'm going to go with Amanda. <laughs> That's um, a straightforward one. <laughs> as, as who it um, would be. Uh, what are some disadvantages of using the first home guarantee? Are you hit with a higher rate? Uh, disadvantages of using a first home guarantee, uh, potentially a higher rate, yes. Check with your mortgage broker because that's changing all the time. Uh, but two, you've got a larger mortgage. You've got larger repayments. Yes. As opposed to putting in a larger deposit. But you say, well, the, the larger deposit's going to take me four years, five years, or I can get in with the help of the government now and pay no LMI, get in with a 5% deposit. As long as I can cough that mortgage up each month and, and put in buffers for higher interest rates and emergency buffers in our life and everything else, then it should be okay. Yeah. It helps when you can facilitate the cash flow, but it's you struggle to save. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's being aware. And a lot of people actually don't qualify for the guarantee. Like there's quite a few things you have to tick off yeah. in terms of earning capacity and the purchase price, all these things. So, yeah, you find the income's too high for a lot of people. Yes, yeah. which is ironic because those people still don't have enough deposit to go into the home they want to. So no. it's not, it hasn't fixed all our problems, but it's certainly helping some people. Mm. This is an interesting one from Claire. Would you go an older slash dodgier two-bedroom apartment? I'm not sure what qualifies as dodgier, but I'm saying, I'm thinking maybe somewhere that needs work or a nice one-bedroom apartment. I had the answer categorically before she said nicer. Oh, okay. (laughs) What was it before the nicer? Well, it was definitely two beds over one bed. Sure. It just makes sense, doesn't it, from the point of view of two singles can live there, you can own the house and have rent the other room out, like you've got uh, maybe even you can rear one child there or even two. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can have a home office you can't do any of that with one bedroom. So I'm still saying two, but yeah, I don't – you want to add value to something ideally and in an apartment building you, you can't add value to the exterior because you don't own it. Yeah, unless everyone agrees to do something with it, which is very rare. Very rare, yeah. So then the internal is what the only thing you can impact. So would I buy a newer two better? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I'd buy an older two better. Yeah. And do it up. My question is, where are these apartments? Because there's also a debate of the two-bedroom crappier in a bad location, one-bedroom nice mm. and in a good spot. And who who is your buyer? At the end of the day, when you exit the property and you go to make your money, mm. who is your buyer and who's going to pay the most? Yes. And so, yeah, that also really plays into outside of accommodation, you have to factor in location. When I was running this morning, mm. I had a thought about running an episode that says Pepsi or Coke. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. Ford or Holden, like, yep. and, and, but do it for property. And this is yeah. one of those examples yeah. one bed or two bed. 
busy street or quiet street, but inferior dwelling. Like there's so many scenarios that run through. Remember we did that episode, Would You Rather? A yes, while back. Similar, similar yeah. to Would You Rather. That, maybe, yeah. we should bring that, maybe we should put a post up on the Facebook group and bring that back for an episode. Let's do that. Yeah, Would You Rather, but we'll call it Pepsi or Coke. I like that. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, <laughs> not, not the uh, nose beers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's going to get cut. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and, and that's really important what you mentioned there around what location. Are we, are we in the yeah. same suburb like for like? Are we right next door to each other? Because mm-hmm. if they're right next door to each other, then it's a clear-cut decision for me. Yeah, and I think... Also, another factor, and this is very apartment specific and the equivalent is land size in the home buying world in terms of houses, but how big are these properties? Because if you have a super oversized one bedroom, I'm talking like 60 square metres plus Mm. internally, but the same size is allocated to a two bedroom, it feels really pokey and small. It's also that debate too, you know, so there's lots of factors. It's um, a question that's open to counter worms, but generally speaking, the more accommodation, the better because it gives you more flexibility for growth in terms of having a family or work from home uh, and probably appeals to more people in the rental market as well if it turns out to be an investment. Yeah, totally. Good one, Claire. She's gone crazy actually. Sent a few through. Yeah, she has sent a few. Yeah. <laughs> so let's continue on the Claire train. Um, tips and tricks to present a strong front at auction if you're a single female whose parents are interstate. So first time buyer Emily is in Melbourne She's gone to her first auction, her parents are in Tasmania and she's ready to rock and roll. What's she doing? This is your bread and butter. This is my bread and butter and I love this question. The biggest thing would be before you even arrive, give yourself a pep talk. I think it's actually really important to go into an auction. I know John's like, oh God, here we go, there's fluff coming. (laughs) You've got to dress a certain way. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, Auctions are around the perception you have a limitless budget. Yes. That is literally how you win an yep, auction. love it. So how do you make yourself look like that? You need to appear confident, not only mm. mentally, but, you know, dressing the part as well can help. Yeah. Um, I always personally prefer, prefer to wear sunglasses where I can. Um, it just gives another... So no one can see element. your eyes? Yeah, and just gives another element of almost mystery in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doesn't yeah. quite work on a shady day, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, and you prevent yourself getting crow's feet too. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Which runs in my family. So that's, <laughs> that's a, excellent. Yeah. Okay. No, I like that one. Um, and then probably the biggest thing is I, I mean, as an advocate, you can do this as a general public buyer as well. I call the auctioneer or the, the agent running the campaign on the Friday to say, okay. hey, I really want to put my best foot forward tomorrow, but I need to understand the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. What are you expecting to happen tomorrow? Okay. And just let them talk. Yeah, and what do they say generally? Well, I, funnily enough, just before we recorded this, I had this exact phone call with an agent out, just outside and he said, look, here's, here's how it is. There's three people who have done more than two inspections for the property. There's one getting a building and pest inspection and I'm expecting you plus three others to raise their hand within the quoted range. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, and so, I'm expecting you to wear glasses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know you. And a suit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, and I look, that's through building rapport and yeah. getting the clear cut. You can achieve that as a general public buyer. You just need to spend time building the relationship. Mm. So it, it is certainly worth making the phone call. Yeah. Then also note that the auctioneer on the day 
is unlikely to be the actual person who's been running the campaign. Yes. So I would ask the agent who you know, hey, could you please introduce me to the auctioneer and simply shake their hand. My name's Emily. I'm um, I'm thinking about bidding today. I just want to introduce myself. Mm. Everything about what you've said from start to finish is is confidence, isn't it? It's Big time. Oozing confidence yep. and, okay, I'm on top of my game here mm-hmm. and I'm driving a... Mercedes or <laughs> perception. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But like I said, it is the illusion that you have a limitless budget. Mm. And when you hear someone lose an auction and they say, oh, that person, they would have kept going. Yeah. That's what you want to be. That's right. Yeah. That person who just would have kept going. But top tip, always the top tip of auctions, set your limit before you go into the auction and do not change it. Ever. Ever. Emotion not gets by in the dollar. way. I just, I just don't advise mm. it. I just think you set the limit when you had a level head. Yep. So why would you change it when your head's probably all over the place? Fair enough. So where are you standing? Well, typically to the side of the auctioneer, it doesn't matter left or right, and looking out onto the crowd rather than being in the crowd. And the reason for that is you're quite accessible to the auctioneer to be heard and seen, particularly if you're yep. a bit more quiet. Yeah. Uh, but also you can sort of eye off your competition. I've often made a joke in the auction that, well, I'm the closest to the front door, so it's easy to give me the keys. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> just, good. so, uh, yeah, I, I would personally always stand at the front. And so you like pretty much where the PA will stand. Yeah. Sometimes notes. you can look like you're part of the real estate right. team. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the strategy, I suppose, say, well, there's 10 registered bidders or there's two registered bidders. Does your strategy change? Well, Registered versus actual hands up are two different things. If I was expecting it to be super competitive and it played out that way, I hold off until the property is called on the market and selling. But they can't bid unless they're registered. Uh, every state's different. New South Wales is a lot more stringent. Victoria, right. you don't actually have to register. There's, you can rock up from anywhere and bid. Right. So you're yeah. just riding along and you see an auction and then you, you put your hand there. There's actually been cases of people doing that and then leaving. Wow. Yeah. So yes, you can. So... It's tricky to gauge, yeah. even for the agents if they don't have registered. But look, if it's gaining momentum and there's bidding back and forth, I always hold back until it's on the market mm. and then I come in at a round figure knockout point. So if the property was quoted 8 to 8.50, it's smooth sailing um, and it's getting towards the 900 mark, I'm the 900 bidder. I'm fresh in bidding at 900 and i am still got plenty of room to go. Yeah, okay. Cool, love it. They're good tips. Yeah, but I think all in all, like the whole crux of auction bidding is confidence. Yeah. If you're not confident, I would suggest maybe getting, if you can't have a family member who is, maybe get an advocate because yeah. it, it is quite an important skill set and part of the process. So if, if someone's out there in Melbourne that is not comfortable going to auction, do you, do you just do... I'll do a one-off auction for you. Yeah, so we, yeah. Uh, when someone has a property that that's uh, got an auction date, we inspect, assess, and act. No, but it's like, okay, I'm I've done all the searches, yeah, and I want to go to this auction. I haven't engaged you as such, but yeah, yeah. I want you to just help me on auction day. Yeah, but at, in order to give guidance on the yeah. price, we do conduct an inspection as yeah, part sure. of the service. But it is just one-off, okay. just for that property. Cool. Yeah. Great tips, Emily. That is fantastic. Thanks, Claire, for the question. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come right back with more. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Jen asks, what's the difference between a unit and villa? They look the same to me. Jen, you're pretty spot on there. <laughs> yep. um, I don't know if terminology changes state by state. Maybe we'll start with you, John. What would you classify as a villa? Look, the, the villa thing confuses, or not confuses me, but annoys me when agents call it a villa when it's not. Oh, I think it's a unit. Okay. Right. So what's so your definition? My my definition of a unit yes. is it's part of a complex or a group of dwellings together mm-hmm. that form a body corporate or a strata group, depending on which state you're in. Right. So, so is it an apartment? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, my my view of an apartment is <laughs> apartment is in a complex that's not on the ground. I see a unit as an on-the-ground complex. So single-level dwelling. Single-level dwelling. Ah, there it is. What do you think? So my definition of a villa unit, so like... Villa unit. So now you're combining them both together. That's what we call them in Melbourne, a villa unit. And so I think the term unit and villa are interchangeable because of the fact they're actually called a villa unit. Well, I I never use the term villa. Okay. And and so why would an agent call it a villa as opposed to just calling it a unit? Um, I'm not really sure. No, I'm not either. But it's just... Confusing. Do you know why? Actually, I think I do know why. Because sometimes people call apartments units. Right, yeah. So to set the record straight of what I think the majority of people, including you and I, would classify them as, apartment, multi-storey dwellings, unit and or villa unit, Single level, people liken them to a retirement village feel. They're usually like four or six in a row, mm. single level. Yep. A townhouse yes. is typically a double storey property mm-hmm. that same sort of setup as what the villa units have and they've got a common driveway, um, but a townhouse is double storey and... Has a common wall. Yes. I think there needs to be a national glossary for property terms because people get very confused. In Britain, a <laughs> villa is a detached or semi-detached house in a oh, residential district just to confuse dang. everything, right? <laughs> oh, gosh. A villa is a type of house that was originally an ancient Rome upper-class country house. Oh, well, that's kind of like when you think about going on holiday and you book like a villa, a villa in yeah. the middle of France. Yes, that's, yeah. what, that's why they call that villa. So right. 
if you go overseas and you see a villa, don't apply it to Australia, <laughs> right? It's got to stay overseas. Okay. Back in Australia, we've got units, apartments, townhouses, houses. Do you think they added the term villa to make it sound more exotic and more appealing for marketing? It does Maybe sound that's better. Why, yeah, yeah, it does sound better. Yeah. Okay. And that's, I think, from the whole France thing. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, hopefully that answers your question, Jen, because I think we're, we're all confused. <laughs> <laughs> we botched that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Laura has asked, Michelle Bullock, RBA, a new governor, will she steer us back into the right direction? Now, that would assume we're in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's the first part of it, I suppose, mm. isn't it? Are we, are we in the wrong? Well, yeah, it, it's very tough in these positions. There's no doubt about that. Um, Philip Lowe's been there for quite some time. If he had his time again, I haven't interviewed or spoken to him about this, but um, I'm sure he may have increased interest rates a little bit earlier than he did. Or maybe not let them get as low? Well, possibly, but they were low for some time. Yeah, I guess weren't so. Weren't they? Like they came down, but then they, they didn't just go straight back up. So I think the going down was okay, um, but the coming up probably need to happen a bit sooner. So there wasn't such a, a snowball in the cheek. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, will Michelle give us a, a good outcome? That's hopefully why she's employed. Um, she wants unemployment to, to increase to 4.5% next year. So she wants, she wants unemployment to increase. Yes, which is interesting, right? Yeah. Most Most Australians would say, why do we want people out of work? Mm, that's my first thought. <laughs> but at the moment, what's happening, and, and this is really property aside, but any case, what, what's happening at the moment is people are picking and choosing who they work, uh, what hours they work and who they work for and the demands and all that. Sure. Right? So we, we want to have a healthy rate of unemployment so there's some some competition and some in standards for productivity. So what she's really saying is she wants more people at working age in the country. Yes. Uh, she wants to create more jobs. Okay. Which doesn't, it's a bit, it's a supply and demand thing yeah. all over, right? If unemployment rate is 7%, then we're in a little bit of trouble in a certain area because yeah. there's too many that can't get jobs. Sure. No one in Australia cannot get a job at the moment. Like if you want one, you will get one somewhere. Yeah. The problem is, not only can you get one, but I'll actually pick and choose which one I take. And yeah. these are my hours and these are my conditions and that that's not a good position to be in for the country, let alone small business owners and everyone else who has to deal with that. It's so, an employee market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which it hasn't been in a very long time. No, no. But, yeah, with unemployment that low, mm-hmm. I like 4.5. Like, yeah, that's, that's not a bad... Um, aim for, for them. So, yeah, I think she started off okay. Time will tell. But she did get protesters at her first opening speech, I believe. Oh. So. Can't be everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> no. Ash asks, what professional should you use to help you create your long-term strategy? For example, a BA. Great question, Ash. And I think there's con- some confusion around who does what, you know, because there's mortgage brokers out there giving property reports there's financial planners who invest in property themselves and have their say in what they think you should or shouldn't do. And then there's BAs or buyers agents, buyers advocates who actually find the properties and are in the overall strategy too. So it's a bit confusing. Yeah, and I think go another level mm. and say 
there's BAs that will say that are equipped and confident to say, look, I'm an expert in this area, I'll find you a good property in this area. Mm-hmm. And there's BAs that strategically say this is where I think we should be investing around the country for building a portfolio. So those can be very much mixed message because I often get people contact and say, well, my BA or a BA I spoke to mm-hmm. said we should be buying here. Yep. Lo and behold, it's where they operate. Yes. So it's like saying we well, need to buy a Ford because I own a Ford dealership. Yes, very so much so. That, it's all about the questioning, isn't it, of the professional but knowing what questions to ask. I've always said that to invest properly you need to be a borderless investor yeah. and engage a borderless buyer's advocate, mm. someone who's buying in all different states and territories and not bound to one location. But those who aren't that as a BA will say you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, totally, which is <laughs> yeah, which is so funny. But like think about it, you know, likening to Ford, if you're going to buy a new car, you don't just go to one dealership, you look at all or even better, you go to carsales.com and have everything in front of you. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, I am very uh, passionate about the fact that you should be engaging a BA who buys in all different pockets of Australia, um, which is what you do, John. And uh, I think it's the best way to ensure you're making a really great choice with plenty of information on hand rather than being steered in one direction. Mm. And back to the professionals, the mortgage brokers, financial plans, et cetera, Mm and I said this in the book, are very strong about staying in our lanes. So you and I don't give advice on this is the loan you need, this is the lender you need to choose and this is the structure. Yeah. We might talk a bit about structure, I do anyway, but not this is the best product for you. Sure. So they brokers shouldn't be doing that with property. Exactly. Um, financial planners the same, et cetera. Yeah, and to be honest, the best way to create a long-term strategy and have everything lined up and in your best interest is to actually have a team, yeah. a mortgage broker, a financial advisor and a buyer's advocate who cohesively work together. Mm. And they they know, as you said, they stick in their lane, but you, the common denominator is you, the client, and they're all there to work in your best interests. Yeah. I think that's really like the gold standard of... It is, and and that's how this podcast started. Glenn, mm. Glenn and I held hands five years ago, and <laughs> <laughs> pre- what did you do? <laughs> well, previous to that, uh, I would send him clients for insurances and everything else. Yep, death cover, whatever, uh, and he would send me clients for property. Yep. No, money changed hands. It was just this is what we do because we know we can rely on each other. Yeah, Mm. yeah, 100%. And just on that note, particularly if you're new to the podcast, John and his team are very heavy into the investment property side of things in their BA business, which is Envisage Property. He's actually wearing his Envisage Property top today. You can't see it, but I can, (laughs) can can tell you that. Um, Whereas I'm first home buying and and home ownership only in Melbourne. So a lot of people, funnily enough, John, people listen to the podcast, they book a call with me and then I send them to you because they're not quite sure where they should go. But if it's investing, investing, think John, Home ownership, think Emily. This is as simple as it needs to be. They like your voice. I think that's why. I don't think yeah. that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, one final question to round out today's episode. Adding value, Bell asks, should we renovate kitchen or bathroom? If we could only do one, which one should we do? 
Now, having had a little bit of experience with renovation or improvement on my own properties, I would say kitchen. Okay, why is that? Just because I had to give one answer. (laughs) (laughs) No. The reason being is stereotypically, Mm -hmm. stereotypically, people I've found appreciate a good kitchen more so than a, a good bathroom. Yeah, I would agree with that. You don't walk through an open home and go, wow, that's a that's a great bathroom. How good are those tiles? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They may, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it For me, a bathroom is, it's about water pressure. Yeah. Practicality, functionality. Yeah. yeah. doesn't matter too much what it looks like. It all does the same thing. Get in, get out. Whereas uh, a kitchen may be, okay, invite some friends over, they, they sit at the island bench or they, yeah, while we're cooking, we're chatting and the family and the kids are doing the homework or whatever it might be. So it's a bit of an inviting area if we've um, designed it well. A kitchen is a space where multiple people are in using mm. a space at one time, whereas a bathroom is kind of in isolation as well. Yeah, so right. it's kind of important to have the functionality piece behind it. Um, and for many people, particularly first home buyers, they have dinner parties and, you know, they're paying off their mortgage. They're not going out anymore. They're no. having dinner parties at home and yeah. so it's more of that outward, this is my home, this is my kitchen, like, you know, how nice is it? And Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So. So there you have it. Kitchen is the answer to that. Yeah. And I'm trying to think why someone might choose bathroom over kitchen. Um, I can't think of anything. <laughs> but I think if they're a, a tiler, mm-hmm. they could do it themselves. Yeah, totally. So. Even a bit of tile paint these days goes a long way as well. Yeah, that's right. Paint your tiles. But I think the the key underlier with that is which one's in more disrepair. If the kitchen's fine but we'd love a nice ki- new kitchen, mm-hmm. a nice new kitchen versus the bathroom's actually physically not working and there's leaks and tiles are ripped off and everything, then it's obviously bathroom first, isn't it? Yeah. And investment owner rock is probably a a different decision there. Yeah, for sure. And I think for some people they don't value a kitchen because they're not really cooks and don't really spend much time in it. So it's not too bothered by that. Each their own, but between the two of us, we would choose kitchen. Yeah. Well, that brings today's episode to an end. If you've gotten this far and you have also listened to previous episodes and you're yet to leave a little bit of a review for us, this is the time we would love you to just give some feedback or even... Just share it to a friend that who might benefit from learning more about property. We love trying to spread the word about property education. So that would be uh, very well received if you sent it out to somebody and give them a resource to look into. As always, feel free to send through your questions. But until next week, we hope you have a great week ahead. Thank you. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.